Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. are the church. If you're a Christian, you're saved, you're in relationship with God, you are the church. Not all by yourself, but with other church family members. Listen, we're going to go ahead and shift our focus a little bit from the book of Nehemiah, we've been on that book in the rebuilding of the walls, to the book of Haggai. So if you're brave, go with me in your Bible to the book of Haggai. Because I don't have all 15 verses on your sermon guide. If you don't know where Haggai is and your pages are kind of stuck together over, over there, that's okay. Go to the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew, and then go back about three books. And you'll be right smack at Haggai, I promise. It's not that hard to find. Go to Matthew, and then come back three books, and you'll be in Haggai. Now, as you're finding your place there, I just want to let you know the, the name Haggai means festive. And most scholars would take a guess and seem to indicate that he was probably born on one of the festive feast days, and his parents named him Haggai, which means festive. And if you didn't know, Haggai, his main goal as a prophet, as someone who spoke for God to the people, his main goal was to encourage God's people to finish rebuilding the temple or the house of God. Somebody say finish, right? God wants us to finish what we start. Now, what I want to do today is I want to read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. I think I have verses 1 through 11 in the New King James on the screen, but as I've been digging into this and reading it, I just love the way the Amplified Version just kind of popped out to me, okay? So I'm going to read it. I'm not going to try to explain each line. It's a wonderful story. And I believe that God will speak to us through this story. Okay? Now, let me, before I read this story, I want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Those of you who know the answer, just, just say it, okay? Two words describe this question, the answer. How does a person get saved? Two words. Starts with an F and the other one starts with a G. Faith, faith, we've got to put our faith in what Jesus did. The other one is G, close. Grace, come on, somebody say grace. So faith is putting your trust in something you can't see, because God said it's true. And grace is receiving something from God as a gift because of what Jesus did for us. Come on, you're with me on grace, okay? That's how you get saved. Now, this is not a trick question. How do we receive everything else in life after we get saved as Christians? Faith, and what else? Grace. End of story. We're done. Church is over. So simple. You get saved through faith, by grace, and everything else in life as a Christian now, it goes through faith by the grace of God. It's a gift of God. You with me? Keep that in mind as we read. Haggai chapter 1, I'm reading verses 1 through 15 out of the Amplified. In the second year of Darius, the king of Persia, successor to King Cyrus, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, 
the word of the Lord came by means of Haggai the prophet in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying. So Haggai's bringing a word from God, and he's speaking to the civic leader, and he's speaking to the religious leader. And this is what God is saying. God is saying through him. It's not him, it's God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people say... The time is not yet come that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. Although Cyrus had ordered it done 16 years before, rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls had later been forbidden, but not so of the temple. So 16 years have gone by. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house of the Lord lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and set your mind on what has come to you. You have sown much, planted, scattered seed, but you have reaped little. The crops haven't been abundant. You eat, but you do not have enough. You're never full. You're never satisfied. You drink, but you do not have your fill. Still not full. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages has earned them to put them in a bag with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but they used that phrase twice already. Consider your ways means I want you to think very carefully with your heart about how you're living and what you're doing. Your previous and present conduct and how you have fared, how you've done. Consider your ways and kind of take an introspective look and a self-examination at how you've done with the way you've been living. Verse 8, God is speaking. Go up to the hill country and bring lumber and rebuild my house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord, by accepting it as done for my glory, and by displaying my glory in it. You look for much harvest, and lo, it came to little. And even when you brought that home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies waste, while you yourselves run each man to his own house, eager to build and adorn it. Therefore the heavens above you for your sake withhold the dew. And the earth withholds its produce. Now let me pause. We have to get this. This is not something that we can understand naturally. Man, I was up at 3.15 this morning praying and just about begging God to help me to deliver this message. And this is not a message that I can understand with my intellect, with my smarts, with my natural understanding. This can only be received and understood if we open our hearts up to the Holy Spirit's grace and ministry and teaching. Because that statement right there 
It's counterintuitive. It goes against everything our natural mind says. Therefore, the heavens above you, for your sake, withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its produce. What? How could God say that? Why would God say that? Because He loves His children. And right now, so far, we're reading, they have misappropriated some priority, and they're a little out of alignment. And so God's saying, listen, I got to get something to catch your attention so that you can realize that I am your source. Your job is not your source. Your crops are not your source. Your, your sustenance that you can provide is not your source. I'm your source. And you got to know that. So you got to realize these are 50,000 people of God that were excited 16 years ago to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord. And they laid the foundation and they got distracted. They got discouraged. They became disinterested. And they said, oh, forget it. And now 16 years have gone by. Verse 11. And I have called for a drought upon the land and the hill country, upon the grain, the fresh fruit juice, the oil, upon what the ground brings forth, upon men and cattle, and upon all the wearisome toil of men's hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, returned from captivity, listened to and obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, not vaguely or partly, but completely, according to the words of Haggai, the prophet, since the Lord their God had sent him, and the people reverently feared and worshipfully turned to the Lord, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, listen, I'm with you, says the Lord. Come on, somebody say, God's with me. That's good news. That's what they were wanting to hear. I'm with you, says the Lord. And the Lord aroused. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. And he stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people so that they came and labored on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So in about 23 days or so, there is a spiritual turnaround. There was a reformation. There was a repenting. And there was a turning back to God. Oh yes, that's why we came here. It says that the Lord stirred them up. That's supernatural, friend. It's not something they did. They didn't stir themselves up. The Lord stirred them up to go to work on the house of the Lord. The title of today's message is this. Experience the blessing. Come on, say it with me, church. Come on. Experience the blessing. Here's the subtitle I felt led to give us. Living a rich, full, and satisfying life. Come on, say that with me. Living a rich, full, and satisfying life. Come on, who wants to live a rich, full, satisfying life? That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. Now, let me just clarify something. Once you receive Jesus Christ, kids... Once you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you got to know this, you are already blessed. Let that 
Let that sink in. Adults, Pastor Robert, you don't understand. I'm struggling financially. I'm, I'm struggling relationally. Things aren't lining up. My future's not working. Things haven't. That has nothing to do with the fact that once you receive Jesus, you are already, past tense, blessed. Where does it say that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 1.3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bless us when we live good enough. Is that what it says? What does it say? Who has blessed us with some of the spiritual blessings. Is that what it says? What does it say? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The blessing on your life is in Christ Jesus. And because you're in Christ Jesus, God's blessing is already on you. Now, let me clarify some things because there's a little more on your sermon guide than I have time to go into. I promise to get us out of here by 3 o'clock though. Here's the first thing you need to know about the blessing. The blessing of God first starts with God pronouncing verbally in the Spirit His favor and His acceptance of you as a family member of God. The blessing is first verbal in the Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, after God made Adam and Eve, what did He do? God blessed them and gave them a car. Is that what it says? God blessed them and gave them a house. Is that what it says? Does anybody know what it says? God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule as an extension of me, demonstrate my glory. The blessing is first verbal in the unseen spiritual realm. When you said yes to Jesus... God pronounced His blessing over your life. Here's the second aspect I want you to know real quick. From there, the blessing will begin to manifest, begin to appear in an empowerment to live a rich, full, satisfied life in God, so much so that it affects every area of your life externally. Come on. So it's very spiritual first, but it doesn't just stay spiritual. It goes out into the natural. Proverbs 10.22 says this. Listen, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. Another translation says this. The blessing of the Lord makes one wealthy and adds no toil that is not joyful to it you got to know this church listen i'm not preaching money that's part of the blessing eventually but the blessing is not money the blessing is not houses the blessing is not cars the blessing is not clothes the blessing is not it can include that but it's first your relationship with god it's your in christ jesus that's where it starts. So I want to look at this story real quick, and I want us to discover three things that you must consider, take to heart, if you want to experience the blessing. Say experience. See, because when you become a Christian, God pronounces blessing on you. Listen to me, church. But there are different levels of experiencing the blessing. And God wants us to learn how 
to step into those levels because He loves us so that we can experience, emphasized word, more of what He has for us. Does that make sense? Say it makes sense. Okay, here's the first thing you have to consider, and it's a fill in the blank. You ready? Keep this story in mind that we just read. Number one, God is passionate about His house. Would you say it with me, church? Kids, say it with me. Come on. God is passionate about His house. What's another word or a synonymous word for passionate? Anybody know? Excited. Good. Enthusiastic. How about this, a little Pentecostal, ready? On fire, right? Those are just some synonymous words. I mean, he's, he's all about his house. Notice Haggai 1-2 again, real quick. God is speaking through the prophet, and he says, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but I took notice of it. God says, this people, not my people. Do you think God had disowned them? Do you think God was that put out with them that he cut them off? Like you're out of the family? No. Somebody say grace. Right? He said that because he wants them to understand at this time they're not living like his people. 14 years, 15 years earlier, the people were excited with God over the temple, over the building of the house. They laid the foundation. They even celebrated, and they had praise and worship, and they blew trumpets once the foundation was set. That's in Ezra, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. They were so excited. But let's be real. I mean, if you look at their lives, there were some practical, legit reasons why they could have thought it was the wrong time. This people says it's not time. I mean, the land was desolate for 70 years. It was hard living. The work was hard. They had financial difficulty. They had crop failure. Their enemies brought resistance and discouragement, disinterest. Their personal homes needed to be built and their personal homes needed work and their personal families needed tending to. None of this changed the fact that God is passionate about His house. Why? Because that's the place where He is glorified and where people can experience God's presence, God's power, and God's blessing. Think, think Old Testament. The house of God, the temple of God. The Holy Spirit wasn't living in everybody. The house of God, the temple of God, was designated for the presence of God, the worship of God, sacrificing. And when people went there, they connected with God. So this was jugular to God. We've got to fix this. We've got to finish this so that you can experience all that I have for you when you come together in my house. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. The Old Testament temple, the Old Testament house... It really is a prophetic, it is a painted picture of the ultimate house of God, which would be Jesus on the earth, and then everyone else who follows Jesus. Because if you are a Jesus follower, you're the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells in us. Can somebody say amen? In essence, the Old Testament temple really was a snapshot of what the New Testament church would be where the glory and the presence of God would dwell. He's not with us only because we're in this building, although God is passionate about this building. This building has been set apart for God's glory, 
for God's presence, for prayer to God, for worship to God, for hearing God, where our kids can be nurtured and strengthened and pointed to Jesus so that they can avoid all of the junk that the world is trying to throw at them. It's, this is set apart for God. God is passionate about His house. How about King Solomon? You remember the story in Second Chronicles 7, 15, and 16? After they built the temple, King Solomon rebuilt the temple, God said this, listen, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. What does this mean? Well, each of us, myself included, we should ask ourselves, am I passionate about God's house like he is? Am I passionate for God's people like he is? Am I passionate for the kingdom of God like he is? Consider your ways. Take it to heart. Are there things in my life, are there things in my life that rival my commitment, my passion, my enthusiasm, my dedication for God, for God's people, for God's house. Now, if there are, God's not mad. He wants us to see that so that in His love and in His grace, by faith, we can get the help of the Holy Spirit to begin to adjust some things so that we can experience, keyword more of the blessing flowing in our lives. you got to remember in the story, God shut up the heavens. God withheld some things. God blew some things away. Why? Because they were out of alignment. Therefore, they weren't experiencing the full blessing that God had for them. Right? God is passionate about His house. Here's the next thing you have to consider. The next thing you have to really set your heart on. Number two, here's the fill in the blank. God prioritizes His house. Come on, say it with me, church. God prioritizes his house. Haggai 1, 3, and 4. Look at it again. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, listen, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins, incomplete, not finished? Is it time for you... I'm going to break it down in layman's terms today. Contemporary language, okay? Is it time for us to only focus on our house, only our family, while God's family, God's house, the church, has a bunch of people with spiritual walls that are broken down, hurting, distraught, deceived, not growing, not becoming disciples, not being impacted, not making an impact? Is it time for you to just focus on your life and your house and God's family is in ruins? That's the question that he's asking them. And when I read that, it's a tough question for me to consider for myself personally. Here's what one commentary said. Let me just read it to you. It's easy to see how this happened over 14 years. At first, the work was stopped because it was so difficult and some obstacles in the construction prevented progress. Think about how they must have felt. Think about it. We can't get much done at the temple and I'm tired of living in a wreck at home. So it's time to start to remodel my home. How about this? God wants me to give attention to things at home. Home first. How about this? I would give more to the construction of the temple, but all my money is tied up with my home renovation and my life. Some might have said, I'm not living extravagantly. 
Look at the other houses in my neighborhood. Look at the chariots in their driveways. After all, the altar is there, God, and we can at least sacrifice to the Lord. We're getting by. Now listen to me, church. Listen to this. God isn't saying he doesn't want you to have nice houses. He just wants you to put his house first and to trust him to build yours. Come on, somebody say, that's good preaching, Pastor Robert. I'm preaching to myself here. God wants you to have a nice house. He wants you to have a great family. He wants you to experience the blessings. But friend, if we misappropriate our priorities, there's things that begin to get outside of the blessing, and then we don't experience what God has for us. Now, I want to be real clear His house refers to, especially now in the New Testament era, it refers to his church, the body of Christ, you and me. Jesus said, I will build my church, ecclesia, the called out ones, because he's passionate about his people. He's passionate about his house in the same way he prioritizes it above me. For example, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Now listen, those of you who are watching this on Facebook at a later time, I want you to hear me. If you're not part of our family and you're experiencing trouble and you can't seem to feel how to get ahead of things and you feel like you're earning money and you're putting it into bags with holes, listen, listen, listen. God loves you. He wants you to experience the blessing. Listen to Matthew 6, 31 and 33. Therefore, Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or What shall we drink or what shall we wear? How will we feed the kids? What will they wear? How are we going to get them through college? What about my retirement? What about my house? What about my vacations? Don't worry. Come on, somebody say don't worry. Jesus said, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. Who are the Gentiles? People outside of the blessing. People outside of a relationship with God. They have no other alternative but to try to make it happen for themselves. That's not you, friend. You're in the blessing. Come on, somebody say, I'm in the blessing. I'm in the blessing. You don't have to be like them. He goes on and he says, you know it, verse 33. Come on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. That doesn't mean you're not raising your family and you're not being a good steward and that doesn't mean your yard looks like a wreck and you're not taking care of your house and you're not a good steward. It doesn't mean that you're not paying attention, but you're learning to keep God central. God and then the rest of my life. Listen, not the rest of my life and then where God could fit, I'll put him in. That's the problem they had in this book. How many want to experience the blessing? Right? We got a check in the mail for $600. I'm sharing that with you because that was an unexpected arrival. Come on, anybody like those unexpected arrivals? 
We had paid out some things for an eye surgery that Yolanda had a few months ago. It cost a lot of money. And we're looking at our finances, and we got some plans that we want to do that we feel like the Lord's leading into, and it's tight. And then all of a sudden, got a check in the mail for $600. Pastor Robert, that was just a coincidence. I don't think so. I think the Lord cares for those that are learning to honor Him and put Him first. We're not perfect. But we're learning. Friend, if you want to experience more of the blessing, let this story unlock some things in your heart and begin to become passionate about God's house, the church, and prioritizing His house, the church. Here's the third thing you must consider, take to heart if you want to experience the blessing of God. Third thing, fill in the blank. Two words, you ready? People that passionately prioritize God's house, experience God's blessing at a deeper level. Come on, say it with me. People that passionately prioritize God's house, experience God's blessing at a deeper level. Haggai 1.7, look at it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Haggai 1, 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence. They reverenced the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, this is it, this is key, listen, I am with you, says the Lord. The question really isn't whether or not the Lord's with you, with me, The question really is for us today is whether or not you and I are with the Lord. This is His goal in the earth. To reach people. To disciple people. To strengthen people. Come on, somebody say amen. That's His goal. And we get to be part of it. Lord, stir us up like you stirred up the spirit of the people. Stir us up. Arouse us. Awaken us. Quicken us to have a passion for you and your kingdom and your house. Help us in your grace to reprioritize some things so that we can experience the blessing of God at deeper levels. That's what we need. Amen? Come on, somebody say, I love you, Pastor Robert. I know this is, this is a tough message for me to preach and to talk about. It's kind of hard for me. I want you to know that this is not meant to be condemning or hard or heavy. But all throughout the Scriptures, we can see when we put God first. Many of you here, you've been doing that for so many years. You put God first and He's pleased with you. That brings pleasure to Him. And then there's others here. We're just, we're just barely getting into the family and we're... We're trying to figure this out. And God's grace is there for you to do that. He wants to help you to figure it out. And then we've got some of us kind of, we're in the middle. And maybe we've stalled out a little bit. But let this message kind of stir you up fresh and anew. Pastor Robert, okay, so what should I do? I'm glad you asked. Here's some action steps. And then we're not done with service because as soon as I'm giving you these action steps... I'm going to have John 
and Heather come up and we're going to sing another song or two and we're going to take communion and we're going to seal our time together and we're going to pray and we're going to believe God together as we leave the church uh, building today, okay? Listen, here's the action steps. Here's what we need to do. You ready? Number one, renew your passion for God's house, the church. By the way, these might be a little different than on the screen because I've been chewing on this and I've reworded it a couple times. Three times to be exact. Here's the second action step. You ready? Reprioritize your schedule to put God's house first. And when I say God's house, I don't mean necessarily the building, although that's not excluded. What I mean is God and His family, the kingdom. Here's a third action step. This is what you can do. Serve with us. So many of you are doing that already. That's awesome. Some of us aren't doing that yet. I don't want you to hear any guilt, any weight, any condemnation. But if you're part of the family, it's a pleasure, it's a joy to serve God's house. Amen? We got places for you to serve. Guest services, facilities, cleaning the church building, food pantry, worship team, kids ministry. If you're not serving yet, no condemnation. Just say, put me in the game, coach. I want to serve God's house. Here's the fourth thing you could do. We could do. This is a big one. Commit to being a disciple, not just a churchgoer. What's a disciple? Again, you're going to hear this from me until the Lord tells me different, or I go on and go to heaven. Okay? What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's being changed by Jesus and is on mission with Jesus, i.e., winning the lost and making other disciples. That's a disciple. And you can do it. We can do it. God's going to help us. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.